The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I'd like to go back to John chapter 4 this evening. John chapter 4, we've been considering the interaction between Jesus Christ and the Samaritan woman here at the well. And Jesus has talked to her about living water and that fountain of living water springing up and uh, springing up out of her and in her unto everlasting life. And last time we focused on uh, true worship, as Jesus said, that he seeks out those to worship him in spirit and in truth. So we want to pick this up here in John chapter 4 and in verse 25. And the woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. And when he is come... He will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this <clears throat> came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pots and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. And we'll come back to verses 31 through 38 and Jesus' interaction with the disciples a little bit later. So let's go ahead and skip to verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me that all things ever I did. <clears throat> so when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there three days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, <clears throat> not because of thy saying, but because we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now, we'll go back and uh, start in verse 25. But before we do that, I do want to make sure I highlight, just in case I miss it there at the end of verse 42, the Samaritans, again, we've discussed that they had a mixed lineage and a mixed heritage and worship backgrounds, but they were definitely not considered, especially from a Jewish perspective, they were not considered to be among God's favored, chosen people. And we tried to highlight for you there in John chapter 3, the verse we all know so well in John chapter 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world, a group that is much broader than just the, the full-blooded Jewish lineage, so to say. And uh, Nicodemus began his conversation with Jesus, most likely with the assumption that God's favor is still upon the full-blooded lineage of the, of the Jews. And Jesus expands his, his uh, mind 
of, there in the context of John 3, of the new birth and the effects of the new birth, he expands that to not just the Jews, but the whole world. And it's kind of interesting that the Samaritans actually proclaim the same thing when the gospel is, is opened unto them, that he is the savior of the world, right? Now, not the whole world without exception, right? But it is evident because the Jews have been telling us that uh, God doesn't have any favor on us as the Samaritans. But now we realize that Christ is not just to the full-blooded Jews. The Messiah is for the whole world, even us, even us Samaritans. So the, uh, the testimony of that community there in, in Samaria, those that believed and came out and, and believed on Jesus Christ, that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world including the Samaritans, including the Samaritans. Okay, now back up to verse 25. And again, he's just concluded a discussion about worshiping spirit and in truth. He, he has brought up her uh, relationship problems and her current sin associated with that. And then the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah, or Messiah, cometh, which is called Christ. And when he has come, he will tell us all things. Now, she's already said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. You're telling me things. I've just met you. Uh, you're telling me things. There's no way that you could know. And we, even us Samaritans, have heard about the Messiah that's coming. And they were anticipating. Even the Samaritans were looking toward a Messiah. When he has come, they understood he would be a prophet. He will tell us all things. And then Jesus just kind of clears the deck for her, makes it very simple. I am that speaketh. Let, let me get this phrasing just right because I need to read it correctly. I that speak unto thee am he. Now, what he really just said right there, the word he there is in italics uh, for a better understanding in the English language. But essentially what he said there is I am, right? He said... I am, and that, that's, she certainly would have known uh, being of the Samaritan lineage and, and having uh, some degree of understanding of the Old Testament scripture. She would have known the story about Moses and the burning bush where he said, I am that I am. Right. So yes, he, he affirms to be the Christ, but he takes it even, even farther back than just standing up and saying, I'm the Christ, I'm the Son of God. He is saying, I am that I am. I, I am Jehovah God, right? I am God manifest in the flesh. So she was, she had in her mind that she was looking for the Christ. And Jesus affirms that I am he, but she was uh, pursuing the uh, circumstances of the world and of the flesh to try to find some satisfaction. And obviously that wasn't working out well for her. But now Jesus says, I am the Christ. And then his disciples come back. And then uh, we'll come back to their, their response there in, in just a minute. The woman then left her water pots, left her water pot, and went her way into the city and saith to the men. Now remember, she showed up in the sixth hour of the day about noon when nobody else showed up to the well. Because, obviously, she had a very scandalous reputation in the community. And she would rather go in the heat of the day to get her water pot than to go uh, during 
the early morning or late in the evening when most of the people would be at the well to get their water for the day. It makes sense. Most people would go early in the morning, right? Because you're going to use water that day. Um, and then if you're running low for the evening, you may have to go back and get some more. So she was purposefully showing up at noon to try to avoid the people who would look at a minimum look very judgmentally at her but it would probably even be more than that i mean people are people back in the first century in in samaria too samaria too and and you know there would always be some disparaging comments and she would rather avoid that and and you know well especially with her background of five husbands and living with a man in a manner that she ought not you know the the men of the city had a very negative impression of her. But it's amazing that she's just so filled up with this well, this fountain of living water springing up into everlasting life in her soul. It's, there's something that's tapped into her soul that she's never felt before. And it's just gushing out like a geyser. I mean, have, have you seen, uh, you may, may have seen it with, uh, with water, but for some reason I think about the, the uh, striking oil right. as, a, as a better example. But, but you know, they tap, they tap into that oil, and then all of a sudden that oil is just shooting up so fast and so heavy, and it, and it just consumes anybody that's around it, right? Well, <clears throat> there is something that it got tapped into her soul, yeah. and, and for some reason... She forgot all about it. Remember, the, remember how the discussion started about water? And all of a sudden, she's not concerned about this drinking water, this H2O that she showed up to get. Now, all of a sudden, she's tapping into that fountain of living water in her soul, and she drops those water pots, and she runs back into the city, and she's just so consumed with this... Uh, first love excitement of understanding that Jesus is the Son of God and understanding that He's the Christ, that not only does she go to the city and express this, but who who does she have the excitement and the boldness to share this great message of the gospel with? It's these men that would have looked very disparagingly upon her, and they would have they would have talked about her behind her back, maybe even to her face. But all of a sudden, all of those um, <clears throat> all of those natural fears and all that natural embarrassment, all of a sudden, it doesn't matter anymore, <laughs> right? Why? Because. She just realized that her Savior, the Son of God, is here, and I, I found him. I've seen him. So it doesn't matter what their opinion is of me by me expressing this to him. I'm just going to tell them the truth. And it's the same message that's consistent all throughout the New Testament. Come and see, right? Come see a man. Come see a man, and, and obviously that they talked about a whole lot more than just the what the Holy Spirit gives us here in this text. Come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. I think they had a lot longer conversation than what we have just here in the text. And she understood there was something different about him just from his knowledge of her relationships. But after he expounded all this stuff that we don't even know about, she knew 
definitively. She knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the only one who can know these things about me is Jehovah God, is God. Very similar to, um, to uh, Nathaniel under the fig tree, right? That when, when he says, I saw you under the fig tree, and we don't know what that is, but uh, what that event was or what that circumstance was, but we know that that was a personal, intimate situation between him and God, and he knew nobody else could know about that. The only way that, that this man could know about that is, is if he is God. And that's essentially the same conversation that she had with him. That the only way he could know these things is that he is the omniscient God who knows everything. But she's just so consumed with excitement and gratitude and just gushing out. Her cup is literally overflowing, right? So much so that it doesn't matter who she's talking to. She's even going and telling the men in the city that wouldn't want to have anything to do with her, wouldn't want to be seen anywhere around. I mean, this is the kind of woman, you remember when Jesus was in the house of Simon the Pharisee and there was a woman that's just described as a sinner, but I think there are some sins that are very public that, of why men would view her so negatively. And Simon the Pharisee said, he knew everything that she did, he definitely wouldn't let her touch him at all. That's the kind of reputation this woman probably has in the community. And you want to know what she does, essentially? She goes up, if, in, the, in those roles, she goes up to Simon the Pharisee, right? And says, come see a man. And you want to know what's amazing? Because of the testimony of this woman, many people based solely on her testimony believed on Jesus Christ. Don't you think about that? I mean, this is just as radical of a conversion as the wild Gadarean. When, when people saw the wild Gadarean and then they saw him being unable to be tamed and breaking uh, chains and fetters and and physically harming himself and all these different things. And then all of a sudden, you see him sitting in his right mind and his answer is that Jesus of Nazareth did this. That's something, that is such a powerful change in someone's life that everyone could look at that and say, whoa, there's something different about this guy, right? And this woman had just that radical of a testimony that when she went and told the men, it had such an impact on them because because she had such a bad testimony previously, right? Kind of like the wildcat read. So it had a tremendous, powerful impact that just from them hearing this, his, this woman, and primarily, I would say, seeing this woman. You know, uh, I understand that we cannot, we, we need to pursue it, but, but we can't necessarily live in that first love, first understanding the gospel excitement on a 24-7 basis, okay? Now, we always need to recalibrate, examine ourselves, and, and try to strive to do better. But really what we need is to be, and if the kingdom is growing in the manner that it ought to, and people are consistently coming into the kingdom and being baptized, and they're first understanding this for the first time, those, those of us that have understood grace for a long time, 
and maybe you get a little bit complacent and maybe you start taking amazing grace for granted. What you need is someone who is understanding it for the first time and to be around them. And then they, they go around saying, have you heard about how great grace is, right? Grace is a, is a charming sound, right? Grace is amazing. Yeah, that's right. We're saved by grace. That's, that's right. right. You know, that's how, we, that's how we respond to it. You need those new converts to the kingdom to prime your pump and get you excited. So this love of Christ and this excitement is just, just overflowing and bubbling out of her. And, and you know, I think that people can typically see when someone's belief and their joy and they, their love of the Lord is authentic. Okay? And it was so authentic, even in this woman that, that they thought so horrible about a few minutes ago. Just her disposition and her face and everything about her, the, the spirit probably just beaming out of her, kind of like Moses coming down from the mountain with his face shining. Her face is just beaming. And they knew that something was different about this. And, and see, that's the kind of disposition we should have all the time. Fortunately, we get... We get busy and we get complacent, right? And yeah, we don't have that kind of attitude of just joy, just oozing and radiating out of us. But that's how we should be all the time. And we really need some of those new converts to, to see how excited they are so that some of their, uh, their zealousness and their fervor and their heat can rub off on some of us if we've got a little bit, a little bit too complacent. So come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And then the men were so intrigued by her testimony that they went out of the city and came unto Jesus Christ. Okay, verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the sayings of the woman which testified, he told me all that ever I did. Just from her testimony, many believed, but also some of them didn't necessarily believe our testimony, but they were very intrigued to go out and see for themselves. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, and they followed her request, right? Come and see, come and see, because they were so intrigued by the powerful impact that this this man had had on this uh, very disreputable woman. Look at the powerful impact he had on her, and they were very intrigued to go see, go see who this is, right? So the Samaritans were come unto him. Uh, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. <laughs> now we're going to go back to the disciples in just a minute, and some of their uh, misconceptions and preconceptions. Uh, um, don't you know it was a little awkward for them to stay there with these Samaritans, that if Jesus did not must needs go through Samaria, they would have skipped it all around? Don't you think it was a little awkward for them to stay there for two days? <laughs> right. Yes, this woman believed and all these people came out, but they stayed two more days. And I think what Jesus tells them before that is really trying to set their mindset and set their, uh, their perspective as they are called to minister to these Samaritans for a few days. But many more believed because of his own word and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves and know that he is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. The Savior of the world. But notice how from her joy, from her excitement, 
from her love, even those who previously viewed her as a very bad woman, just for lack of a better way to put it, even they were drawn to the joy that she exhibited to go and see for themselves. And see, that's the kind of light of the world that we should be on a daily basis, right? Um, Unfortunately, we don't always carry that out very well, and I know I'm right up there at the top of the list. Now, let's focus on the disciples for the rest of our time. uh, Let's back up to verse 27. So, he sent them away. He sent them away to go to the city and buy meat. So that this interaction will be just with with Jesus Christ and the Samaritan woman at the well. And then, right after Jesus says, I am. I am the Son of God. Right after that, his disciples return from buying bread in the city. And they probably didn't even like that. They probably didn't even go like going into the Samaritan city to even buy bread. And now they return, and you know, they're uh, men of like passions just like us. And, and the whole walk back, they're probably talking negatively about the Samaritans, right? Because they don't want to be there. Then we've got to go into the city and we've got to buy, uh, buy bread from these uh, Samaritan dogs that we're better than. And then they come back and they say, well, I, well they don't say it. They think in their, in their mind, why is Jesus talking with a Samaritan woman? I don't, I don't think they knew who this woman really was because uh, they didn't have any, any context or knowledge to know her background. But just them showing up and him speaking with a, with a Samaritan woman, they marveled that he, that he was even talking to her. And he said, uh, or they, they thought in their mind, but they didn't dare say it, what seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? Why are you even talking to this woman? And then she leaves, drops her water pots, and she runs back into the city. Verse 31. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. And he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? They just assumed somebody gave him some food while they were gone. Jesus said in verse 34, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. His, His meat his sustenance. It says in the Old Testament uh, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What did Jesus live on on a daily basis? To fulfill the will of God. Amen. And that should be our desire for daily sustenance as well, is to pursue and to fulfill the will of God with what we have been called to do. Now, Jesus was called to a work that we couldn't do, right? Right. My, my, weed is, <clears throat> my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Well, his work that was given to him by the will of the Father for the Son was to come in the world and to save his people from their sins, right? But he got up every single day with a focus and a concentrated um, goal of not getting distracted from what his meat and what his purpose and what his goal was as the son of man, which was to do 
the will of the Father. And that kind of single-minded devotion <clears throat> devotion to, to the will of God should be our focus as well, right? And it's easy to get distracted on that. It's, it's easy. Jesus got up every day, and just as, just as much as you have to consume food multiple times a day to sustain your, your physical health, he said, what I live on on a day-in, day-out basis is my submission and my desire to fulfill the will of God. And we should have that continually. It should be, if we're praying without ceasing, uh, that, that phrase in our prayers, not just don't let it ever become a vain repetition, but, but that should be continually on our mind and on our hearts because we should always be praying, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, right? And if we're praying without ceasing, that thought should always be in our mind. <clears throat> Verse 35. Say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. And behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor, and other men labored, and ye have are entered into their labors. Now, number one, these disciples didn't even want to go through Samaria, right? If it was up to them, they would have uh, drove, uh, walked that uh, 40 extra miles out of the way just to avoid these people that they despised. But then when they get there, lo and behold, not only is there one regenerated child of God who is seeking conversion, who is seeking greater knowledge of Jesus, but it turns out there's a whole lot more. Amen. And there's a... <laughs> They were um, having negative thoughts when just one Samaritan was there. And just in a few minutes, there's going to be a whole horde of Samaritans right. showing up. Okay? And he's, I, I believe Jesus is setting their expectations, not just during his ministry. You know, we're not. <laughs> Listen. This is fairly, fairly early on in his ministry. I, I was trying to peg um, if this is before or after. I haven't been able to, to obviously we're not given benchmarks on this uh, of, a, of a timeline, but is this before or after when he sends out the disciples um, in Matthew chapter 10 and he says, only go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Don't go to the Samaritans. I'm not, I'm not positive if it's before or after that. But... He is setting a tone, not just in his own ministry, but also in the ministry that they will fulfill in the book of Acts. And, um, and then as the, as the kingdom continues to expand, that you will find a harvest. And what he means by harvest here is that there are already born again, regenerated children of God that are 
ready to receive the gospel. They just need you to go preach it to them. Okay? And what he's telling them is the harvest might be in a place that you don't expect. And it might be among people that you don't expect. Not only were they going to have to minister to these Samaritans, but you know, they were going to have dinner in the house, in the houses, of publicans and sinners, right? You know, if it was up to them, and we're having a big dinner party, if it was up to the disciples, they probably wouldn't have picked having dinner with the publicans and the sinners and the heathens, right? Why? Because we don't really want to reach out to them, right? Because clearly God wouldn't have a people and God wouldn't have a presence among people that we think negatively of. And he's saying, listen, guys, the harvest is a whole lot broader than you think it is. <laughs> the, broad, the harvest is a lot more diverse than you think it is. It's among the Samaritans. It's among the publicans and the sinners. And this is really the pattern all throughout the whole Bible, isn't it? Uh, I don't have time to highlight all these, but just think about a couple instances. Uh, they get there in Jericho and look at the great displays of faith of Rahab in Jericho. Well, you wouldn't have expected that, would you? You wouldn't have expected there to be this, this uh, white unto harvest child of God that, is, that has a belief in, in Jehovah God. You wouldn't have expected that in, in Jericho, but by the providence of the Lord, they make their way to that woman's house and then, and then she becomes uh, famous in Israel and ends, ends up being in the lineage of, of David and Boaz and, and everything else that's in Rahab's history. Well, that, that's very unexpected, isn't it? Uh, well, think about none of them. I mean, Jonah, boy, you want to talk about preconceived notions and, and uh, not wanting there to be a harvest somewhere, right? You know, I think, I think Jonah in the back of his head he knew God was just good enough that he would let these Ninevites repent. And he, and he thought that he could circumvent the Lord of the harvest. <laughs> you know what? If I just don't go preach to them, then the Lord will probably change his mind and just burn these Ninevites that I hate up. And by the way, there's just no other way to frame this other than the truth. These disciples... Born-again men that are following Jesus Christ, they were making decisions on a racial, prejudicial basis. And that's exactly what Jonah was doing, right? That's exactly what Jonah was doing. But, lo and behold, those Ninevites repented. Lo and behold, the, the, the fields were white unto harvest in Nineveh in a way that, that he would not have expected. Okay? Acts chapter 10 when they go, uh, when, when Peter is called to go and minister to Cornelius and he gets there, what he realizes is, y'all know the, the phrases that he, of a truth, I believe that God is no respecter of persons, right? And in every nation, him that feareth him uh, and, and worketh the righteousness is except what he, what he said is, when I showed up here, I realized these, fear, these fields were already wide in the harvest, Amen. right? Uh, um, later on, Paul is uh, is in Corinth, and he 
is afraid and discouraged because he's getting some pushback there. And Jesus appears, uh, God appears to him in a dream by night. And he says, don't be afraid to minister here. Why? Because I have much people in this city. The fields are wide in the harvest right here. And you've been called to go labor in the midst of this harvest. Okay? Which, by the way, there's a reason why Corinth, you know, we know the two letters that they got and all the problems in the middle of that. That just tells you how hard it is for people that are in the midst of a truly crooked and perverse nation and generation and the people around them. It, it, it is too difficult to describe and probably too graphic to describe just how immoral the city of Corinth was. Right. Okay? But even among that immoral city, Jesus tells Paul, there's a <clears throat> tremendous harvest here. Right? I already have much people in this city. And they're going to end up reaping Verse 38, this kind of goes back to some of the uh, Canaan land language where, you know, you're going to eat of vineyards you didn't plant. You're going to drink of wells you didn't dig. And he says, look, I'm sending you to go reap. But keep this in mind, by the way, as I'm sending you out to minister in later, later years, just in case uh, you ever think that you're taking credit for it and that you think that you're that important or you're that indispensable, I'm sending you out and you're going to reap, but you had nothing to do with the sowing. (laughs) You had nothing to do with it. No, you're just called to go and minister to the harvest. Now, there there comes a time later where they are involved in some of the planting and, and, uh, and in some of the watering and then even in some of the harvest. But when it started out, listen... You didn't have anything to do with this. You are just reaping the harvest because God is the Lord of the harvest, right? He's the one who sets the harvest. God's fields in the world today are so white unto harvest. And we know that better than anybody, don't we? We know that the effects of the new birth and the sovereignty of God and immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, there are born-again people all over this world, all over our communities, all over our spheres of influence on a daily basis that don't know anything about the true Son of God. (laughs) Now, they may know a little bit about Jesus, but they may view Him as a very weak and pitiful God that wants you to choose Him. They, they don't understand about the sovereignty of God. Yeah. But sometimes we have a very narrow focus and we can get discouraged in saying, oh, well, there's just no one out there that really loves Jesus Christ, that wants to believe, that wants to be a a member of the primitive Baptist church. I want to tell you, the fields are white unto harvest. And they've been white unto harvest really all the way even back back to uh, the Old Testament. We see that with Rahab and many other instances. But the fields are white unto harvest. There are many children of God that are struggling that are trying to 
that they have a sorrow of their soul and they're trying to placate that sorrow of their soul by sins of the flesh, just like this woman. But here's the challenge for us. The reality is the fields are white unto harvest in some areas that we're not really that comfortable with. Yeah. It's just the truth. The fields are white unto harvest in areas and with people and with ethnicities that we're not really that comfortable with. And we have to get over those limitations of the Holy... You know, we pray for the Lord, grow the church, grow the kingdom. But for some reason, we think that He's only going to grow the kingdom with white, middle-class people that have never had a criminal record, (laughs) that don't have tattoos, that look just like me, and and they talk just like me, and, and they look just like me. Listen, the fields are wide unto harvest, and we better expand our mindset about what the kingdom Amen. looks like. <laughs> we need to expand our mindset. Don't you dare limit the Lord of the harvest. That's right. Instead, that's exactly what we do. We limit the Lord of the harvest, and we look at people who we think would be a really good person for me to reap and bring into the kingdom. That's not who the Lord calls you to minister to. This this harvest is much broader and much more diverse than white middle class people. (laughs) Okay? And it's just to our shame in the Primitive Baptist Church that we all look the same. I mean, to our shame. (laughs) Amen. I think that if we're realistic with ourselves... We have a very limited boy. We would we castigate the Jews in the first century for looking down on Samaritans and looking down on publicans and looking down on all these people. Let's look in the mirror at our at our churches on Sunday. <laughs> right? Listen, the fields are white unto harvest. But I think sometimes we're a little bit afraid of going to where we have to go to and interacting with people that we have to interact with to reap the harvest. And we need to repent of that just like the disciples had to repent of that. Because they were going to be called to go to people that they, in their mind, had negative preconceived notions of as God was expanding His kingdom. The fields are white unto harvest. But those fields sometimes look a lot different than we think they do. And we pray that we can have a much more biblical mindset. Remember what Je- how Jesus introduced that little section? My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Well, let me tell you, God's will is for there to be a huge reaping in his harvest. Right? That's his will. That's his will. But we don't need to limit the God of the harvest by saying, I only believe the harvest is over here or is in this setting or is with whatever whatever limitation you want to put on the Lord of the harvest, don't do it. Because the fields are white unto harvest. We just need to be faithful stewards in his kingdom and do our best to minister to those children of God who are struck boy, is there anybody that needed the gospel more than this woman? Right. Right? But I guarantee you she's the woman that you wouldn't have had anything to do with. I, I know people like that, 
that I went to high school with, and uh, they've done some things in their past that, and they've they've got they haven't been old enough to be married five times, but they're 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 trending. I mean, they they, they have real problems, okay? And those are the people that I'll just I'll pray for you from afar, right? Hey, that may be a child of God that is really struggling. That needs to hear the true gospel of salvation Amen. by grace alone. Amen. But what do I do? I act just like those prejudicial disciples and say, you know what? I'm just gonna go, I'm gonna go around Samaria. <coughs> I'm gonna avoid that person. That's our natural tendency. But we have to get over that. We have to repent of that. Amen. And God will grow his kingdom in ways that we might not expect. Amen. But the Lord of the harvest will bless us to reap if we are faithful stewards in his kingdom. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.